0: i'm involved in improving quality outcomes like individuals who have high blood pressure or diabetes talking about population health so understanding the type of patients that we have but also building programs to improve quality improve the ability for individuals to achieve their optimal health outcome we continue to see disparities in health and health equity and how do healthcare care systems work to overcome that or to improve it you know, how healthcare systems try to improve quality. And that does include quality with regard to maternal health outcomes. It involves quality with regard to chronic disease management and outcomes from advanced illness. We could talk about why it matters. We can talk about, you know, now healthcare insurance is paying organizations to keep people healthy and keep people out of the hospital. And that has prompted organizations to invest in population health.
1: There are also grades of insurance coverage. Uh, When we go from total lack of insurance coverage to what people consider the most premium insurance coverage, your ability to afford a particular insurance coverage and how good it is depends on the amount of money you can actually put into that insurance plan. And when you don't have money, you don't have money. You default to what has been provided to you But how can we improve what has been provided to to people that just have to take what they're given?
0: Well, I will say that there is a lot of work that is being done at the legislative level that just if you have government insurance or Medicaid, Medicare, still is an emphasis on quality uh, improvement. You know, Medicare has a large accountable care organization program Where such as GW, we have a Medicare ACO for Medicare patients, It's a government plan, and they give us money to say you can get this money, but you have to show us that you can take care of these patients and have better health outcomes, no matter what where they're from or how much money they have in their pocket. So that's an example. So even Medicaid programs are now going into value based care contracts with clinicians and organizations and saying that if you want to see our patients, you have to show that you can provide high quality care. It's not just commercial providers.
1: But but why has this not translated to a better maternal morbidity or mortality outcome for a country like America?
0: Yeah, well, I think we have to go to the root causes behind that because we know that the reasons between that we see disparities in maternal health outcome is not just related to access and socioeconomic status, right? We've looked at that data and there are African-American women who are college graduates are still more likely to have pregnancy-related death than uh, white women who have not graduated high school. So it's not just about insurance or about socioeconomic, right? So then we have to say, what is the real issue? What is the real issue? I mean, I think, what is it that you all have talked about on the podcast? Have you talked about what some of the real issues are?
1: Oh, yes. The real issue, number one, there's still access. Access is still an issue. You know, like women having just access to care, um, that's still number one. And number two, a lot of women just don't know. You know, like they don't know what are the high-risk situations of a pregnancy because for instance they don't even have a way to check blood pressure which is one of the commoner things that causes maternal morbidity, morbidity and mortality but the women are still dying in pregnancy you know
0: so then you know one of the things I, I agree with you i mean i think a lot of those are barriers we've talked about social determinants of health but then what do you say about the women who have a very very good insurance who are very wealthy that are still dying?
1: Yeah. So some of the cases that I know, for instance, are from things like pulmonary embolism. You know, the women don't know that when their legs are swollen and they have pain at the calf of their legs, that that's a clot and, and they need to proceed immediately to the hospital. So I think and, and I, I I do have patients like that, that I guess because of my talking and my being aggressive, they came and we caught we caught a PE and we anticoagulated very rapidly and they made it. But people have died because even though they have the money and everything, they are not attuned to symptoms. You know, people told them that, oh, you just had a baby. Your leg is going to be swollen. That's OK. You know, uh-huh. and they, they really didn't know the warning signs to look for. And so I think there's still a knowledge gap for people that have money and resources. Mm-hmm. There's a knowledge gap.
0: What about women who are in the hospital, for example, and see their legs are swollen and they tell the nurse and the nurse tells them that that is something that's normal. And then it ends up being a blood clot.
1: Now, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. In my personal experience, I have experienced that. I had a young patient. She delivered a baby by C-section. We thought it was preeclampsia, and she was a minority patient my patient i did the c section and the nurse was like i'm going to transfer her to the floor she was post i'm um, 2 hours post c section the protocol is that we keep them for at least 24 hours and the head nurse was like i'm going to transfer her because i need that labor and delivery bed and i remember going to the chief medical director telling that chief medical director that i will not put an order for transfer you are the only one that can transfer this patient I, I refuse, I mean, I do not accept that this patient should be transferred. This lady ended up have, having an MI, a myocardial infarction, ended up being transferred to the cardiac unit. She made it, but she made it because somebody like me, I, I, I left my house, came to the hospital, pulled a big stinker, That and I wrote on the chat, I am not transferring patients, only chief medical director can transfer patients. That was how aggressive I had to get. for, for Because if this patient had been in a step-down unit, they would have missed the heart attack, the MI, and this young girl would have died. Yeah. So I I, I get it because I, it has happened to me and to my patients. I had a code, code on L&D. You don't like to hear code on L&D. Right. But I was, I was probed in. I couldn't come out. This lady was unresponsive. This black lady... They called her physician, and the physician said, "Oh, let her sleep. She just had a baby. Let her rest." Well, she was having a massive stroke. A young girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I get it because I, I've been in there, you know.
0: But I don't. And you know what? I think that these these stories are not uh, that uncommon. I mean, I yeah. think our patients hear about it. We've heard about Serena Williams. Yeah. We heard about uh, Judge Hatchett's daughter-in-law, who was um, hemorrhaging postpartum at a hospital out in LA and the nurse said, you know, she's all right, she's just having a little bleeding and she ended up dying. You know, these are things that are happening. So I think that if we're gonna, we should definitely talk about social determinants. We should definitely talk about patient education. We know that patients are not um, coming in for prenatal care, right, are not gonna get that education. But I also think we have to talk about how the health system has to treat everybody equally and we have to have equity. And I think sometimes that when bias or, you know, it may not be intentional, but if you are not treating everyone the same or you are discounting someone that said, I don't feel well, something doesn't feel right. And we say, oh, you, you know, you're OK. It's fine. But had it been someone else, we would have called the doctor to see the patient. And I think that that is, plays a much larger role than sometimes we think particularly with maternal mortality, because we have seen that even when you control for the social, economic, and insurance, Black women are still dying.
1: We need to tell providers that, you know, this is a, maybe a low yield uh, venture. There's so many people that would cry wolf and there's nothing happening, but you need to listen to every cry so that you don't miss that one in 100. That is the real thing. And I think we need to, right train our colleagues you know and and make sure that they understand that this is an issue and mm-hmm. then i want to pivot to this obesity thing about the medications that are now used for obesity and the barriers
0: because we don't we don't talk about the root issues we can talk about the disparities around obesity and it being highest in in women of african descent and we can talk about that, you know, insurance company will pay for surgery and will pay for you if you have diabetes or start having complications, but they won't support you to even see a nutritionist if you don't have. Diabetes. Yes. We know that we're not focusing on prevention. We're actually focusing on treating conditions. We're not doing the right thing. I think that's a problem.
1: So now, because I know a lot of people have identified in lots of these problems, Also, can you talk about, okay, what can we do? You know, um, if a a lady living in a rural area does not have access to a nutritionist, I mean, should she just go lean and grain, just eat vegetables or, you know, how can we solve this problem? There is no money being thrown to these people yet to solve this problem. So how in their own way, should should they go plant a garden in their backyard? Well,
0: first, you know, I think that all healthcare professionals have to be educated on nutrition. You know, we, unfortunately, we don't have enough nutritionists to teach everybody about nutrition. So it's something that all physicians, all healthcare practitioners should be aware of and be able to at least do preliminary high-level counseling for patients. I It's not uncommon that I have a patient with diabetes who are in their 50s or 60s come to me and they don't know the difference between carbohydrate and protein. That's basic think as a country, we also have a lot of opportunity to educate individuals in school, right? In elementary school, everybody should be learning the basics of food and nutrition. We depend on food to live. So how do we not spend any time learning about the, thing, the things that we put in our mouth every day to live? That, that's a basic tenet that should be taught in school, all right? And so so no one should be graduating from elementary school and don't know what a carbohydrate is and what a sweet is and what a protein is and, and what a healthy plate looks like. A healthy plate is something that everyone should know because it has an impact on health.
1: So now that we have this healthy plate, but you know, it's so funny today in my, because I have a birthday Center. as I was leaving, one of my staff members, because I also run a food bank, you know, because I have seen a lot of the problem. So where is an agency of a community food bank and there's a convenience store across from one of my locations. So the patients will go there and buy, I mean, you know what you can get in a convenience store. It's not being healthy. They get it and they walk across my birthing center going home. And just today, one of my staff members, because we got a new shipment of food and my staff members run after that patient. And listen, we have fresh chicken. We have some carrots. And I mean, these are the actual things we have. We have wheat pasta and she followed my staff in and they gave these things to her. But my thing is that a a lot of these people, there's despair, there's despondency. They they don't don't have hope. They're like, this is it. So they go buy a bag of chips and like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. You know, and it's just so sad, you know?
0: Yeah, I I do think that that is an uh, opportunity. I think that that is some people's reality. But I also think that there are individuals who, if they had access to healthy food that was marketed to them the same way that unhealthy food is marketed to them, that the cost was similar and that the accessibility was similar and the time for preparation was similar, I think it'd be a different story, right? Because if I have a car full of four hungry children and I can go to McDonald's and get a pack. And feed the whole family for $10. Or I can go to Whole Foods and pay $40 for food and I have to come home and cook the food, season the food, and then the kids don't want to eat the food because the kids been watching TV and all they see on TV is a McDonald's. Right. So you got to look. So that all has a thing to play. So, you know, I think that we have to be in a situation where making healthy choices is easy. And I don't think that making healthy choices is always easy, particularly for patients who are living in food swamps. We can you know, we could talk about food deserts. We can talk about food swamps.
1: I never had the concept of food swamps.
0: Oh, I, you I should, because the, that's the reality the- of, of many of our things. So when you think about food desert, you're just thinking how far is fresh food? nutritious food from where that person lives, but food swamps actually is, is much more highly correlated to rates of obesity, because that shows you that there's a larger amount of poorly nutritious food compared to healthy food in the same place. So it's not like our patients are having to drive 10 miles to find food. There's food on the corner, The problem is the food on the corner is not nutritious. So in some rural communities, it really is a food desert because you have to travel 30, 40 minutes to get to the grocery store to get food, any food. That's not the case in the city, right? People can go to the corner store and buy food. And when you go down, there's the KFC, the McDonald's, Popeye's, Church's Chicken, okay, Taco Bell, Burger King. So there's a lot of food. There's a lot of food in urban of minority communities the problem is it's not good food and i think that there's a lot of reasons behind that uh there are corporate reasons there are county structural reasons zoning laws all right it's much easier to get a zoning to have a fast food restaurant in a inner city community than to put a fast food in the suburbs right you drive in the suburbs what are you seeing starbucks panera right healthy
1: I'm sitting in Panera right now. I'm right. embarrassed to say
0: this is. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what you get the zoning approval to get in the suburbs. Okay. If you okay. if you look for a Popeyes chicken in the suburbs, you're gonna be looking for a long time. You got to go into the city, right? Because that is where this food is being pumped, and it
1: tastes good.
0: So I mean, so you, have, good, you yeah. have food that tastes good, that's yeah, cheap, yeah. and that's in your community, what are you going to eat?
1: And so I think it boils down to education. We should educate people to reject it, reject something that is going to harm your body, even if it's cheap. Know that on the long run, you are paying money or you are dying early for this.